From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, a weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. I want to uh, thank our guest from last week, Representative Wendy Horman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was on to talk about politics, talk about school funding and school finance. So if you missed that one, head to our website and just scroll back to the most recent episode. But speaking of Representative Horman, she was in town for the uh, school funding interim committee. And since we recorded that podcast, Kevin, you had a chance to attend it and sort through it. They actually committed some news this time around, didn't they? Yeah, it's taken over a year, but it, it's starting to take some shape what's going to come out of this uh, school funding formula committee. It's still unclear how it's going to work and how it's going to roll out and when it's going to roll out. But the committee came together on the idea of shifting the funding formula away from the average daily attendance model that's been used for, for a long, long time to more of an enrollment-based model. Now, that shift may not mean a lot to lay people. It means an awful lot to educators. It really does change the way funding is calculated in a lot of different ways. When you're just counting how many kids you got as opposed to how many kids you've got day-to-day in terms of attendance, it changes a lot of different things. Um, There are some arguments for and against the move. I mean, we've always kind of used this average daily attendance with the idea that it encourages uh, schools to make sure that kids are showing up in school. It gives them a financial incentive to make sure that uh, kids are actually in, in the classrooms. But a lot of arguments are being made in favor of this shift towards enrollment, the idea that it will help follow help dollars follow kids as they go into uh, career technical education. The, the dollars can follow more easily. Uh, it tracks more uh, seamlessly to the idea of a mastery-based education where you're going to move kids through the system based on their subject knowledge, their command of topics. Online learning is something that came up since the school funding formula was last updated in the mid-90s. Right, and that's a big deal, and that's a big change in education, something that uh, this funding formula committee is trying to uh, figure out how to capture and and reflect in the formula. Even sort of subtle things that you might not think about, Um, and this is a point that was made by uh, John McCrosty, one of the committee members, who is a music teacher in the Boise School District was pointing out that uh, you know they'll have homeschool kids who will come for one period to take choir or take band or orchestra. And you know, obviously you can't have that in a homeschool environment, so you go to the schools to get that, uh, to get that exposure. Uh, this way, schools can capture some funding to accommodate those students coming in. So there are a lot of different and fairly nuanced changes that uh, you would get with a, a shift to enrollment-based funding. That's why this is a big deal to educators. It's, it's fairly arcane and, and esoteric for for lay people, for, for parents. Uh, this may not this may not make a whole lot of sense. It may not really track because it, it is complicated stuff. Um, but that's the, the complicated nature of what this committee is dealing with in terms of uh, trying to redo the, the school funding formula. It is it's by nature a very nuanced and very granular process. But what we're starting to see where this thing is going to go, I I break it down in a story Friday, sort of questions and answers about why the state would go to an enrollment-based model. 
this is something we've talked about for years. It's something the task force, uh, the governor's task force, talked about back in 2013. So it's starting to finally take some shape. We explain why that matters, what that change means. So that's the big news that they did commit this week. And yeah, and, and it does matter. And I don't want people to be afraid of the numbers or, or the formula. We're, we're going to continue to cover it. We will cover this idea as it goes forward. But but why does it matter? Why should you care? Maybe if you're not a teacher, if you don't, even if you don't have children at home that are in school. Well, every year uh, the public school budget is the state's largest annual expense. We're talking almost 1.7 billion dollars in state general fund spending. And so as we shift. If this goes forward, if we shift from an attendance-based model to an enrollment-based model, that's going to drive how $1.7 billion uh, in state general funding is, is sent to school districts every year. And so it is a big thing. I don't want people to be afraid of it. I, I don't want people to uh, ignore it. But, but we'll do our best to, to continue to cover it and, and, and right. talk about what it means to regular Idahoans, right? Right. And, and yeah. It is a big deal to school districts. It's a big deal to charter schools because, you know, you don't need to be a math major to, to know this, that if you're taking the same amount of dollars and you're distributing them in a different formula, well, somebody's going to get more money and somebody's going to get less money. You know, if the dollars remain the same, and they probably won't, there'll probably be some some additional sure. funding it is still to some degree a zero-sum game. So that's where it gets really interesting, where it gets really difficult to do any kind of changes in the funding formula. I also wrote this week about something that the funding formula committee didn't want to touch, and that's the issue of kind of where the money comes from and the issue of how do you use or do you yeah. use property taxes to uh, to fund schools. And this is a really sensitive political topic. It goes back to 2006 and the shift that the legislature made in school funding moving away from property taxes, uh, more towards state funding and state sales taxes. Still kind of a third rail issue for this committee and for legislators in general. Uh, legislators backed away from any talk about whether and how to use uh, property taxes in this school funding formula equation. Um, again, this is pretty esoteric, but it also does kind of hit people's pocketbook uh, yeah. because you still have uh, property taxes being used for school funding in, in the form of supplemental levies that are being passed at the local level. Anyway, check all that out at idahoidnews.org. But yeah, this is a newsworthy meeting of the committee. They meet again in mid-October. They meet again in mid-November. We'll see what sort of legislation takes shape in those meetings and, and leading into January. We'll continue to cover it. We'll continue to walk folks through uh, the ideas that are on the table and how that might affect teachers and school districts, parents and taxpayers. We'll try to break it down uh, in ways that are easy to wrap your arms around in terms of grasping, if not 100% of the nuance and the formula itself, grasping the big picture ideas about what this change could mean, how this is going to affect uh, the respective players in our system. So thank you uh, for covering that. You can head over to idahoednews.org if you want to get caught up on that very important meeting. Right, Kevin? Yeah. So this week you wrote about an ongoing issue, uh, the issue of teacher evaluations and evaluation scores reported to the state. And Sounds like uh, more of the same this time around. Yeah, it's been an ongoing project for us. We committed uh, to covering this uh, thoroughly once the legislature, I believe in 2015, tied a teacher's ability to earn a raise uh, to certain performance benchmarks on the evaluations. 
each year. And so what we did, our data analyst, uh, Randy Schrader, a former educator and former school superintendent here in the state of Idaho, requested all the data from the 2016-2017 school year. That's the most recent school year that just sure. finished. Uh, and so he got uh, teacher evaluation scores from districts and charter schools all over the state. Um, the highlight uh, the, the big picture takeaway is that uh, in the state of Idaho, we have about 17,635 teachers. And uh, the results that we got from the evaluations show that they, the vast majority, 97% of all teachers in the state, scored the highest marks possible on their evaluations. That's a, a score of a three or a four on a four-point scale. Those are scores of uh, either uh, proficient or distinguished are the two guidelines uh, that are used in the state. So 97% of all teachers were scoring uh, in those two highest brackets, and by scoring in those two highest brackets, uh, those teachers, that is one of the benchmarks cleared uh, for being able to earn a raise, among other factors. That is one of the benchmarks uh, to be able to earn a raise or to level up on the career ladder. I talked to... Uh, it was kind of interesting. You want to look for the article. I talked to an administrator in the Idaho Falls School District. They were actually the the largest school district where every single one of their teachers earned a proficient or a distinguished score. So that's saying that none of the teachers in that district earned a score of unsatisfactory. Well, or probably basic. About hundreds of teachers in Idaho Falls. That's a large district. Yeah, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, a couple hundred teachers. Um, I want to say almost 500 teachers, um, but it, I'll double-check that, but that's in the report. Um, but, yeah, there's, so they're saying nobody got a basic, nobody got an unsatisfactory. I talked to them a little bit about how they do the evaluations training, and they talked about it as they really use it as they do an observation early in the school year, and they take that back to the teacher and the administrator. They identify some things to work on, and then they work towards improving that, and then they have a second, a final classroom observation at the end of the year. And they said their teachers really embraced it. They uh, rally around it. They commit resources such as professional development training and small group uh, coordination through PLCs, these professional learning communities. And so they said 100% unequivocally they did not just go through and check boxes and give everybody the highest scores. They said, in fact, if you were to look closer, uh, at the granular level, there may be some uh, scores of, of basic and unsatisfactory in there, um, but the overall scores were high. And, and so we kind of walk people through that process. That is just one thing that's always sort of been a red flag uh, for me. I'm not talking about Idaho Falls in particular, but I'm talking about districts that uh, give a high or unanimous uh, across the board uh, high performance marks to all of their teachers. And there's two reasons why that's always raised a red flag for me. Is One is the very first person who I asked about that process Representative Ryan Kirby, a former school superintendent from New Plymouth, uh, he told me uh, he, he didn't beat around the bush at all. He told me we purposely did that uh, in order to protect the privacy of our educators and because we thought it was none of the state's business. I also spoke with Charlotte Danielson, who was kind of the, uh, the uh, education consultant that created the teacher evaluation framework that we use in the state of Idaho, recognized nationwide as a guru on defining effective teaching and, and defining what makes great teaching. She developed the evaluation system that is used in almost every Idaho school district. And she told me that it is a little bit of a red flag that if 98% of your teachers all get the highest evaluation score, she said she did not design the system so that would happen. And she gave me a very tangible uh, example that I could really wrap my arms around. She talked about 
teachers in the beginning part of their career, that first-year teacher, that second-year teacher, they may be working up to proficient. They may still be a good teacher. They still may, may be helping their students learn. Uh, they may be a positive addition to their school, but maybe they're not quite at the overall rating of proficient. She said uh, when you're talking about a young teacher or a teacher in the beginning part of his or her career, that even a score of basic is a degree of good when we're talking about someone new to the field. And that kind of makes sense if you think about it. New doctors, new journalists, uh, anybody new in a profession, they're, they're, they haven't been around the block. Uh, they're, they're conducting assessment for the first time in their life, uh, for instance. And, and so there may be some things that they're working up to. And so that resonated strongly with me. And so if, if, we, if these articles look like we're pushing back, uh, in a way, we are. We're asking the question, are these evaluations being conducted in a valid, fair, transparent manner on behalf of the taxpayers that are paying uh, for our public school education system? That's the first question. The second question is, is there a level playing field in districts across the state? Are the expectations and the experience the same if you're a teacher in Three, que Three Creek or Lapway or Murtaugh versus... Uh, Kaja County or West Ada or Lewiston is is the criteria in place to get that raise to get those benchmarks the same is everyone being treated the same and so, so if it looks like we're pushing back that's why we are but so what's been the reaction from the State Board of Education I mean they have been given the charge to look at the evaluations process to do some some work in, at the district level on, on training on this they're seeing these numbers as well. What's what's the reaction there? Sure, the, and this was the first time that the state board has seen these brand new numbers. I had a long interview with State Board of Education member Debbie Critchfield on Tuesday morning. She has expressed confidence to me that we're turning the corner with teacher evaluations. She said her goal and the state board's goal is to add a degree of transparency to this process to make sure that it's valid and fair for all teachers. One of the ways they are doing that, and we saw this initially, is that they are going through Audit's not the right word. We've been told that. But they are going through behind and reviewing uh, some of the administrators and taking a look at their evaluations and kind of putting those under the magnifying glass. They're taking a random sample of administrators. Uh, I think two per district was one model that was used, and they're going through. And they're kind of spot-checking behind. Uh, did they follow the rules? Did they include two documented classroom observations as required under Idaho law? Are they making sure that both uh, performance on the evaluation framework and student achievement are factoring into the evaluation score. And they've also, uh, the last year the legislature invested uh, some money in some training. They call it professional development to help administrators have more of a universal understanding. And so uh, I sent our notes, our spreadsheets to Debbie Critchfield to take a look at. Um, she said that she did take a look at it, but that only tells part of the story, and um, and so she said that she believes that we've turned the corner in the state. She's trusting the administrators, that they're professionals, that they want to help their teachers improve, and she believes that, like in the case of the example that Representative Kirby told me about, uh, she said that all of her experience in the field is that that uh, was an outlier, and she thinks that uh, there's a more common understanding of what's expected, of expected, that school districts are taking it seriously, 
and that uh, she thinks that the review, she thinks this current school year, 17-18, is an important school year. Uh, the training is there. The resources are there. Uh, the oversight has changed hands to the state board, and uh, she thinks this year is an important year. And, uh, and she said she wants to add transparency by sharing with the public the findings of those spot checks, of those reviews, and telling people how that means. We will continue mm -hmm. to cover this uh, and cover it with a fair degree of scrutiny and skepticism because it is tied to money and because uh, we have encountered some red flags in the past. But the folks I talked to this week um, were confident. In, in the system, more confident than before. Um, but we'll continue to, to cover this and, okay. and ask questions. You can head over to Idaho Ed News if you want to see that story. Kevin, there's one more topic that I want to talk to before uh, we start to wind things down. And, and that's uh, a topic, again, is teachers. But we're talking about teachers that are coming into the classroom through more of a non-traditional means. Tell me about the, the data that you reviewed and, and what you found and what it means. Well, what we're seeing is uh, an increase, a fairly uh, significant increase in the number of teachers who are in the classrooms uh, through an alternative authorization of some form or another, as opposed to uh, going through an education, a school of education, getting a degree and doing your student teaching. Right. And going through a, a traditional yep. route to the classroom. The numbers are going up, and the bottom line is that in 2016-2017, the most recent numbers available, about 5%, nearly 5% of teachers in classrooms across the state are in the classroom through some alternative authorization. That percentage has increased, the raw numbers have increased, and, you know, it should be no surprise why we're in this situation. It's an offshoot of the teacher shortage that we've written a lot about a teacher shortage that is hardly unique to Idaho. Yeah. Uh, and as I talk to education leaders around the state, everybody seems to agree on one point right away. This trend isn't going to change anytime soon. The, the shortages and the, the demand for teachers in Idaho and across the country, that's not going to dissipate anytime soon. That, so the pressures to fill these positions and to maybe go alternative routes to, to filling these positions, uh, that, those pressures aren't going to go away anytime soon. Um, you know, we talk about the career ladder when we talk about evaluations, and, and obviously the career ladder and teacher pay factors into this equation of trying to fill the, the, the teacher, uh, you know, to, to mitigate this teacher shortage. Oh, these are related issues. Oh, they're all related. They all tie in. And... The career ladder is certainly an ingredient in dealing with that end of the equation, the salary end of the equation, but there's, there's still shortages and there's still issues about whether uh, schools can find hard-to-find teachers in the STEM disciplines and special education. So it's forcing schools and administrators to go through a lot more creative routes to try to find people to fill these positions. Um, the numbers show that you've got a big increase in the number of teachers that are being hired who are called content specialists. They're not licensed as teachers, but they're they're professionals in a field. You know, let's say you, you've worked, you know, you've worked in science. You've you've been a chemist, and you want to teach chemistry in high school. You've come to a point in your life where maybe you want to do something different. You want to you know you, you, know, you want to teach, and you want to take what you've learned in the the real world and see if you can apply it to the classroom. That's been growing quite a bit. 
Um, another alternative route that's uh, grown quite a bit is kind of an alphabet soup. It's the ABCTE program. Uh, this is an online program that provides uh, a path to an alternative certification, an online certification for uh, college graduates, uh, people who hold a bachelor's degree. Those numbers are increasing. So those are the two areas where we're seeing growth in alternative authorization. But the numbers are, are pretty surprising and pretty startling that, that we've got this kind of growth and this kind of uh, percentage of, of teachers uh, teaching through alternative routes. It's, I don't think anybody would tell you that this is the way you want to do it. I mean, in a, real, in a perfect world, you would be hiring teachers with teaching certificates who have gone through the route. Uh, they're just harder to find, especially in some of these, uh, in some disciplines like the STEM fields, like special education, uh, those teachers are, are hard to come by. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about real quick before we wind it down. You looked at the numbers. You mentioned ABCTE. Were there certain content, were there certain, certain subject disciplines or certain grade levels where uh, you were noticing any trends in, in terms of filling these positions? We didn't really get a chance to dig down into that kind okay. of level of detail, but I, I suspect, and from what I've heard in, in the interviews, it's the fields that you would expect are difficult to fill. It's it's the sciences. It's special education is, is an extremely difficult discipline to, to to fill. So, I would imagine that that's uh, you know, the, the, those are the areas that the, the demand is most acute. Okay, good enough. Good enough. Thank you so much. Head on over to IdahoEdNews.org and check that report out if you want to look at the numbers and, and get a little bit more of a sense of this issue. Like Kevin said, the numbers are on the rise, especially over the last couple of years. We are seeing more and more of these alternative routes. Uh, and so head and over. I don't think anybody's expecting those numbers to reverse. That's yep. the, the takeaway. So you can check that out, and we will continue to follow it. Well, I think that's about everything that we wanted to cover this week on uh, Extra Credit. I want to thank everybody at home uh, for listening. We always have a lot of fun with the Extra Credit podcast and hope you do as well when you listen. Um, if you want to follow our work, head over to IdahoEdNews.org. That's our homepage. Or better yet, you can give us a follow on Twitter, at IdahoEdNews. We break all of our news there. And as we get into uh, the political season and the legislative session, we will live tweet uh, some meetings, some public events, uh, some different goings on that uh, pertain to education, and so you can follow all of our work there. But as always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.